HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, Internet Radio. This is the Farm Report. It's Thursday at 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, and that's when we are normally live to you. And here we are again. I'm your guest host this week. I was once the host of the Farm Report, and uh, every week, the incredible Erin Fairbanks, who is also the executive director of this entire organization. So when she's not doing the Farm Report, she's doing everything else to make Heritage Radio Network happen. She's not in this week. I'm here filling in. And uh, we've got a great show for you this week, a, a very appropriate show for the season, I think, or maybe you guys will tell me differently, but we're talking oysters today, right. and we've got the guys from Island Creek in Duxbury, Massachusetts, and uh, as, as they explain this operation, it's the farm, the oyster farm is at the heart of everything they do at Island Creek, and uh, it's a muddy, windslept, windswept flat in Duxbury Bay, where it all started, where it always will remain. And they say, here in our backyard, we grow food, the kind that's good for the people who eat it, the people who grow it, and the place where it was raised. So that's Man, who wrote that? I don't know. <laughs> it's just really <laughs> solid eloquent. copy. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Chris Sherman, Vice President of Island Creek Oysters, and CJ Husk, the self-proclaimed oyster dude, are both joining me in studio this I, week. I don't think I self-proclaimed that. Someone, oh, someone told me that that's who I was. It was some chef somewhere I in Boston, somewhere. Told can't me that. give yourself that name. You kind no. Of it. Yeah. No. Nope. Okay. Fair enough. I, I'd be curious to know what name you would give yourself. Uh, shucking boss, I think, is the best. <laughs> this little girl came up to me one day. She's like, "Yo," she's like, "Yo, dude, you like the shucking boss?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's exactly what I am." <laughs> that's my rap name, and the yeah. mixtape's coming out. So. Yeah. That would be that would actually be a sweet yeah, DJ yeah. rap name. <laughs> Shucking boss. Well, guys, thanks for being here. Awesome to have you here. I'm excited to jump right into this conversation on oysters, and I want to rewind for some of the listeners that uh, don't know much about oysters. I mean, how are they normally caught and procured? I mean, you guys have an oyster farm, which is different than getting wild oysters. What What's the process normally like? 
So the cool part about that is that's kind of what oyster farming is in the process of figuring out because unlike farming veggies or or cattle or something like that, um, oysters really started with a wild fishery, just like, um, you know, tuna or cod or anything like that. People would go out and basically forage the naturally occurring oysters. Um, Over the years, over the last century, um, those wild reefs have really been depleted from a combination of uh, over-harvesting them back in the day um, from pollution and then um, a whole bunch of like oyster diseases, bacteria and parasites that are kind of like crop blights um, that hit uh, in the Chesapeake and New England and on the West Coast. So um, enter oyster farming and, um, and you know, we call it aquaculture, shellfish aquaculture. And uh, really it is, it's agriculture that takes, takes place in the ocean. Um, so there is this kind of identity crisis going on where a lot of the people that started farming oysters were fishermen and now they're kind of making that transition into being farmers. It's a different mindset entirely. Um, so that's pretty cool. But, but yeah, we farm them. And, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of different ways to do that. But, and there's kind of different degrees of how it's, you know, where the wild farming breakdown happens. Sometimes people just kind of collect the oysters that occur naturally and, and take care of them. And that's kind of like the most rudimentary form of, you know, quote unquote, oyster farming. Uh, and then, you know, all the way up to... We so have it's a, more protecting the oysters that are already there. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And uh, and then all the way up to... We have a pretty intensive process uh, where we actually have a hatchery. So we pick the oysters. You know, it's like breeding horses or dogs. Pick, like, the handsome devils out there and bring them in and, and mate them. Really? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so we get seed that we plant every year from the hatchery. And then we grow that all the way out to the, the nice little round grenades that you see on your plate and many fine restaurants in this city. So, I mean, that idea of kind of planting an oyster seed seems crazy. I mean, like, what does that look like? What What is that actually? You know, what does an oyster seed look like? Well, if you look at, if you, if you, the next time you look at an oyster and you look at sort of the very tip of it, it's got sort of a round side to it and then it's got a pointy side to it. Um, that pointy side, if you, if you look real close, you can see the sort of the, the little bands on it. And if you could imagine just the smallest part of it, the little, the very end of it, you can kind of imagine what the seed would look like. And they look you, exactly like oysters, except yeah, tiny. but tinier. <laughs> so they just sort of grow out of that little tiny seed um, and just keep adding calcium carbonate onto their onto that little tiny seed there. So if you see a ton of them, it's kind of sure. It's it's a little bit easier to see. I think we got some pictures on the website. Which is islandcreekoysters.com. Yeah, and the, there should be some pictures of seed on there, which is pretty It's pretty staggering to see the pictures of how how many there really are you can hold in your hand at that stage and then how the, how they grow up from and there. They grow. And yeah. then when you're planting them, what does that mean? I mean, where are you putting it? <laughs> so they grow. Um, there's a number of steps in the process, and like CJ was saying, they, they grow pretty quick. So one of the big challenges and a lot of the work that happens on the farm is really just moving the oysters around and keeping them away from each other as they grow so that they have access to all, you know, we don't feed them, uh, we don't fertilize them. They just leverage all the food that's available naturally. Um, okay. And the cool part about the whole process is that a lot of that naturally available food is actually um, pollution. So it's um, nitrogen-feeding algaes that the oysters will remove from the system and fix the nitrogen. So as opposed to really most forms of protein production, 
Um, shellfish aquaculture is actually a, a net environmental benefit for the area where you grow it. Sure. Um, which is neat. But uh, the oysters, you know, when you start out and they come out of the hatchery, they're about the size of a flake of ground pepper. And uh, you can hold really about 800,000 of them in, the, in two hands. And, uh, and it weighs around two pounds. And then flash forward uh, like 18 months, and that same group of oysters will take up an entire acre of the bay and, uh, and weigh about 280,000 pounds. Um, so the process by which we plant them, they get to be about um, the size of, I guess, a silver dollar. I don't think those still exist, but <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's the standard unit of measure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, still use it. Yeah. And, <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, when they get to that size, we dump a huge pile of them in the boat. And it's kind of the most ritualistic part of oyster farming because everybody has the specific way that they do it. Um, and the goal is to plant them, uh, get them on the bottom dense enough that you're efficiently using the land that you have. Most of the farms are pretty small, mm. and, but broadcast enough that they don't compete with, with each other. And yeah, how much space do they need? Uh, it depends. It really, it's all, it's like growing wine, you know, it's very site specific Mm. and it's part of the, that's part of what lends the oysters their character and, and why we differentiate a wealthy from an Island Creek from a, you know, a Kumamoto on the West coast. Um, but, uh, but really anywhere between like 10 to on the West coast, maybe 30 oysters per square foot. Um, so it's pretty dense and the way they do it is some people will put like a little pile of it on the bow of their boat and they take little pinches of it and they drive around in circles and they they go like this and they i guess they can't see that on the radio <laughs> yeah yeah they chuck them on either side sure other times you take like a snow shovel and uh and you'd have like particular cast that you do with a big shovel full of them uh and then you do like a star pattern in the water it's very uh wow. very intricate process everybody's got their own style yeah, extremely yeah. scientific yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot of art to the whole thing and people and skip was talking about building a his new crazy thing is he wants to build a thing on the end of the boat that'll sort of like broadcast it evenly and inventing all kinds of new stuff. So we invent a lot of the things that we we fabricate, a lot of the things that we use because it's not like you can go to the farm supply and be like, oh, like, yeah, let me buy a harrow or whatever. An oyster like, planter. Yeah, can I exist. buy the oyster planter <laughs> oyster for like yeah. $10,000 or whatever? So we build a lot of it in, in um, you know, we just figure it out. It's like pretty farm hack. It's pretty sweet. And what's the entire harvest cycle? How long are we talking from kind of start to finish here? So it's not, again, it's a little bit different from, um, say, growing like corn, mm-hmm. um, where the whole crop matures and then you harvest it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually harvest it over time. So we there's about a six-month nursery process before that amazing process of planting happens. And, uh, and then after that point, it's about a year until we can start harvesting that crop. And then we'll harvest that crop for one year. So the oysters are around 18 months old when we're able to start selling them. And then we'll sell them for a year. So if you're eating oysters in the summer, say, at the end of the crop, they're about two and a half years old. Interesting. So then, the well, I'll ask you about that. we got to go to a quick break. I do want to know when the best time to eat the oysters are, what makes yours different than everybody else's, the terroir, the, uh, the bar you guys have, the wholesale, all of that stuff. So we will be back very shortly. We're going to take a quick break here on the Farm Report. Uh, thanks to our sponsor, Fairway Market, who we'll hear from on this break. I'm Jack Inslee. We'll be right back. You are listening to Melted Magic by Obesity on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Stay tuned for more from Jack Inslee. 
special guest host, and the Farm Report. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. You know, there's no more telling aspect, no more revealing virtue of a group of people having evolved in a lovely way than how they feed themselves, how they entertain, how they put food on the table, what they put on the table. Heritage Radio Network provides the clearest evidence that there's hope for us yet. Heritage Radio is like Fairway Market in that we both care deeply about what you're having for dinner tonight. Heritage Radio Network is not just about food, though. Every time I tune in, I learn something about things other than food, too. Architecture, design, stuff like that. But from where I stand, I still say, if you can't eat it, what's the point? For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. And we're back. Man, I love Steve Jenkins from Fairway Market. Who doesn't? And also, I want to say uh, what's up to Obesity, who provided the music for every week. He does the music for the theme song on the Farm Report, and that break song was also him. And you can check out his work at astronautico.com. Really cool record label here in Brooklyn. Some local stuff. Good friend of the station. Very talented guy. Um, back to oysters. So we've learned kind of about how they're farming oysters here at Island Creek and Duxbury, which... Uh, Sounds fascinating to me, and I'm wondering, you know, what makes Duxbury and, and the specific bay you're working in unique, and what are, what are some of the terroir characteristics of where you're growing oysters, and how does that change the final product? Yeah, so I think that is really gets at the, I and mean, that's the coolest part of oysters, is that um, they are this extremely powerful expression of the place where they come from. Uh, you know, there's a few different foods, and obviously wine is the best example of, uh, you know, that are those powerful expressions and, uh, and oysters because they're, you pull them right out of the water and eat them raw are, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe the most powerful out of all of them. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's factors, you know, like salinity and the type of food that's available. And when I say food, it's algae, uh, in the water, the temperature of the water, um, you know, all of these different kind of water chemistry things that, you know, similarly with wine, you talk about humidity and the soil and, and, and whatnot. Um, so the same factors play into the taste of an oyster. Uh, so, for instance, a great example is that, you know, Duxbury is across Cape Cod Bay from Wellfleet, which is another, you know, really well-known oyster appellation. And, um, but Duxbury, the water is like 12 degrees colder at any given time in the summer because of the prevailing breeze, and it has a huge tide swing. And when I say that, I mean, basically you can be walking around the farms in the mud out in the flats at, uh, at low tide, picking oysters and then six hours later at high tide there's 12 feet of water over the farm Um, so there's a lot of water that comes in and out of there and it's this cold salty cape cod bay deep water Um, so even though it's a estuary with a barrier beach and dunes or anything like that um, and a marsh the water is really almost full ocean salinity and uh, and it really only gets to be about 65 degrees even in some of the hottest um, days in the summer. And how does that change the flavor? Like, what does that add to the flavor profile? So you get, the interesting thing about the Island Creeks is that you get a really strong burst of salt up front. It's that, you know, again, that cold, salty water. Yep. Uh, but you also get, uh, because there is so much food available in Duxbury Bay, and they are well protected, 
uh, they have an opportunity to develop a really nice, sweet, kind of buttery finish as well. And a lot of times in oysters, you get the sweet, buttery finish, or you get the salt. Yeah. It's very, it's very uncommon to have both in one oyster. Um, and I think that's part of it. And then the other thing is texture. Uh, with a nice cold water oyster like that, you know, you get a nice crisp kind of toothy bite to it. And uh, and you know, if, if the farmer grows them well and they have a nice deep cup in them, that's like the perfect oyster. Um, whereas a warmer water oyster or, you know, I don't, I don't want to throw warm water under the bus, but um, <laughs> it could be a whole variety of different factors that lead to a change in texture. But that to me is um, just, as about, just as much a part of the experience of eating an oyster as the flavor itself. Yeah. So that plays into it a lot. Sure. And I imagine it's not as simple as East Coast, West Coast, which is how most people think about oysters when they're ordering them. Yeah. So again, uh, wine is a really good rubric to use to understand that. Um, you know, the East Coast, West Coast thing can almost be compared to like red wine, white wine. The difference mm-hmm. is so strong. And then as you move down the chain, it's the same um, structure. So you have the kind of region, which is the Appalachian that you grow under. And, you know, so it'd be like Napa Valley versus Cape Cod uh, is a good example of that. And um, and then within that, you have a particular brand of um or a particular town, say, like Duxbury, and then within Duxbury, it's just like you have um, different vineyards in one small area. You know, we call our oysters Island Creek. It's a creek that runs in Duxbury, where the name came from, but um, really more than anything, it's to differentiate it because there is the hand of the grower and the decisions that we make on the farm that affect the overall quality eventually. So that we try to reflect that through kind of the, the name Island Creek. Sure. Now, and the farming has gone so well for you guys that you, you had a bar that you opened first, right? This is before wholesale. Uh, no, no, the bar is the latest <clears throat> development. The bar is the latest the, development. Uh, so let's Creek rewind to wholesale then, because you're selling. It seems over a hundred thousand oysters a week. That's that sounds insane yep. to me. Yeah, it's a lot of oysters. Yeah, it's a lot of oysters. <laughs> it, takes a, it takes a lot of doing. It wasn't always like that. It was. It was. <laughs> it was less significantly less than that. It was. It, and not too long ago, I guess, like maybe 10 years ago. When I first started, it was 10 years ago. It was like we were doing 100 bags of 100 and uh, in a week. And I remember the one day we did, um, we got 100 bags in the week. That was like a really big deal. Mm. And then it, as it went along, we did 1,000. and So that was pretty exciting. I actually think we have a caller that's calling with a question, which is which is nice and rare in the farm report, but we'll field it. Let's see who's online. Nice. I love this. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Aaron uh, from Gunwatch. Much love to uh, Heritage Radio Network and, of course, Fairway Market. I just had a quick question. Um, I was told once by, like, an amateur sort of guy that, like, um, and I, I don't mean to bring up, like, a sore subject, but I'm into oysters, and I always wanted to know because I heard that um, you can tell, like, you can immediately tell like as soon as you've bitten into it like if it's a if it's a bad oyster and um uh there's like certain telltale signs that will react in your mouth like not only taste but also like what your mouth will do if you're eating an oyster that's like like tainted or not correctly grown and uh i'll take my question off the air um or i'll take my answer off the yeah. air rather don wash <laughs> college your boy all right thanks aaron good question yeah that's a good uh eater's yeah, that's a good. What, what do we got then. for that? So, um, so you know, it's actually a good question because it is a raw product, you know. So you always want to be, you know, wary of, of a suspect oyster. Um, the <laughs> the good part about the fact that oysters have gotten so popular over the last few years, particularly down here in New York, is that uh, so many restaurants, you know, now work with oysters and have an oyster program that 
uh, it's they're much better now about the way they handle them because really the the um, the biggest problem that you could encounter in a scenario like that is like if they get left out and they heat up or something like that but um, many times really you can smell it right away um, that's kind of the, the dead giveaway and what's the smell you're looking for it's you'll it's, know it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> something like roadkill <laughs> um, so you definitely don't want to eat an oyster like that the other thing too is you know when you shuck it or when it's shucked for you it should be full of the we call it the liquor which is the salt water inside the shell and that's what the oyster lives on when it's um, you know when it's packed up and sent to a restaurant so certainly if it's dried up um, and it's just kind of looking gnarly uh, okay. definitely steer clear um, it's pretty rare that you get an oyster and you actually get it into your mouth um, if it is bad because it's you know usually the shucker can smell it the minute he opens it mm. but uh, but again and it depends on where it's grown and things like that but uh, we do a lot on the farm and at the wholesale company with the handling practices to ensure that um, you know that that doesn't happen and uh, and again people are pretty aware of it now uh, in the food service industry so that's sure great. we call them stinkers and yeah stinkers <laughs> and it smells like low tide it's pretty pretty aggressive and um, sometimes it'll even the the flesh of the thing will look black okay. um, it's all these like horrible things yeah, so it's, it's pretty yeah, obvious yeah but it, you know, you don't want to freak out too much about it, um, but if you can't, you should usually rely on your senses. And if it's like, if it smells bad and listen to your spider bad, senses, it is bad. <laughs> and even if it isn't, you probably don't want to eat it anyways because you probably just don't want to eat something that tastes bad yeah. anyway. <laughs> Unless you're really drunk, and that's usually when <laughs> this scenario really occurs. Is when someone eats a bad oyster, they're more than likely have had a few drinks in there. Their, their radars are a little... It sounds absolutely horrible. <laughs> I have to say. Well, thanks for that question, Aaron. Next yeah, subject. that's a great question. Glad we've clarified <laughs> that's good, that. That's good listeners. to clarify just so people can feel... You know, we want people to feel good about eating oysters, especially as oysters have become more popular, just getting um, getting people comfortable with eating them. I'm, yeah. I encounter people all the time, and they're like, how do I do this? Yeah. What is this? I'm like, it's food. You eat it. It's, it's great. It's delicious. There's so much benefit to eating them and they're so good for you so i think the uh the benefits totally outweigh the the risks yeah sure. totally of i course. mean there's so much good stuff in it that um even if you do have a bad one the other ones should get you through it more so. than make up for it awesome yeah, man, well totally. i mean the island creek oysters are like i said i mean a hundred thousand a week everywhere from the french laundry to per se to the white house <laughs> yeah the uh yeah the white house chef gets them occasionally Wow. They've, they've gotten quite a reputation. <laughs> How does that feel? Uh, it's got to feel pretty cool. Yeah, it feels good. You know, it it's really exciting. We love selling into all the incredible restaurants that we do. Um, you know, it also comes with great responsibility uh, just with the, the product itself, um, you know, and the service that, that accompanies it with our sales team and things like that, working with who are great, um, Dana and Jess, the oysteresses. Um you know, and there's just a lot that goes along with selling into that caliber of a restaurant, and certainly the White House. I can imagine. So, there is the the bar in Duxbury where you can eat them there. You're you're selling them wholesale everywhere, and then you also have a foundation, which I'd love to learn more about. What's that all about? Yeah. So, uh, well, the the bar is actually in Boston. Just oh, in FYI. Boston, sorry. Yeah. yeah, and we've got a new one, um, another restaurant concept called Row Thirty Four coming, uh, actually next month uh, in the Fort Point area of Boston, which Very is. Cool. Not unlike Bushwick. <laughs> yeah. Fort Point? 
Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a good uh, good analogy. Awesome. Um, the foundation is something that started uh, God seven or eight years ago now, and um, basically what happened is we started throwing this party behind a local bar in Duxbury, like the only bar in town, and uh, it was a couple hundred people, and that party grew to out to the beach. And it ended up being like 4,000 people. And we'd fly in like 35 chefs from around the country. And obviously our our uh, our, our chefs in Boston are ever loyal chefs in, in Boston. And uh, so we were able to raise like $250,000 through this festival every year. And we needed something to do with the money. Yeah. God forbid we keep it. Yeah. And, right. uh, and we started the foundation. And what the foundation does is um, we build and fund um, op- aquaculture operations in impoverished communities around the world. And we also educate people back here about um, basically aquaculture as a solution to issues of food access and production uh, with a growing human population. So the concept is is that, that aquaculture provides a pretty cheap and efficient means of producing protein. Um, protein is the most expensive part of our diet. And that's the part that um, if someone is undernourished um, wherever they live, generally protein is the first thing to kind of yeah. not be in their diet. Um, and the other thing is that protein production is very hard on the land. Um, you know, it creates pollution. It takes up a lot of space. Um, it takes between 12 and 20 pounds of grain to create one pound of beef. Uh, so you have all of the production of the um, of the grain feed that goes into um, you know feeding the animals which has its own toll on uh, on our land and, and the environment and everything. Whereas with shellfish aquaculture, you know, like I said earlier, it leverages the food that's available in the uh, in the environment. Uh, you know, so obviously there you have a, a net benefit. And even with some types of finfish aquaculture, which often gets a bad rap, um, you know, that feed conversion is like 1.4 pounds of feed to create one pound of, say, tilapia or something. Yeah. Um, so what you have there is, you know, obviously increased efficiency, and uh, a more environmentally beneficial means of producing that protein. Um, but it's also cheap. So, um, you know, we have a project in Haiti and a project project in Zanzibar. And, uh, you know, people in those communities can get started farming the protein, um, you know, pretty easily. Yeah, that's and, incredible. How do you get tapped into a place like that? I mean, where how do you start something in Haiti? So um, the Haiti project is the, the latest of the projects that we're doing. Um, we started funding... Uh, that project three years ago. We've given $100,000 every year. Uh, and we got hooked up to, with them through the Clinton Foundation. Um, and they reached out knowing that we had some money and some know-how. And they um, connected us with an amazing guy down in Haiti named Valentin Abe. And uh, he's actually one of Time Magazine's um, most influential people. And uh, and I believe it. <laughs> I get to spend, I've gotten to spend some time down in Haiti with Val and it's, um, it's really something else. But uh, the program down there is tilapia farming. And there's uh, rural villages that um, are located on these inland salt lakes. And the lakes long ago were fished out by the villagers. Mm. And, uh, and you know, there's a lot of erosion and there's not in great shape. So what Val's done is gone in and started farming these tilapia. And, um, and what we do is each family gets a, um, a $1,200 uh, fish farming starter kit, the cage and the fingerlings. Wow the whole nine yards. And so that's a lot of what our foundation pays for is buying these kits. Um, once the, the family has the kit, they're able to, um, they're able to grow enough fish so that they're able to, um, excuse me, they're, they're able to, um, create 
10 times their income of the year prior. So normally these people are living on less than a dollar a day. So you're talking about $280, $300 a year for their family income. And uh, in the first year of fish farming, they can make around $3,800, pay back their, um, their loan for the starter kit and, uh, and have plenty of money left over. And then the wholesale company to sell the fish that Val runs um, takes a small margin as well. And that margin goes into doing um, community development programs, family planning, uh, building schools, things like that. And uh, so the cool part about it is they're producing food. Um, they're producing uh, domestic fish in Haiti, which is a, an island nation that staggeringly imports around 70% of the fish they eat. Wow, really? Yeah, and they don't get enough fish or protein in general. So they're creating a cheap protein source for all of Haiti. And they're also creating jobs for themselves where they didn't have them before. And I'm guessing this is a model that can be used elsewhere. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Very cool. And all the money for the foundation is from the events that you guys put on? Yeah, it is. So we actually down in New York because we had an event last night at the Explorers Club, which is an amazing place. Awesome. Yeah. Um, if anyone gets a chance to visit, all sorts of cool uh, moon landing paraphernalia and mm-hmm. uh, things like that. And they were kind enough to partner with us and host the event. And it was a cocktail hour, meroir terroir pairing. So we had amazing wines from Domain Select um, paired with five different species of oysters from all around the country. And uh, uh, author Rowan Jacobson came um, to do a little spiel. Uh, he wrote a book called The Oyster Guide, um, which is kind of a, a geography of oysters. And it's um, kind of the, the seminal work on, uh, if you're an oyster nerd, that's the book to have. Yeah. <laughs> so it was an amazing event, and we were able to raise about thirty grand for the foundation, uh, and it was you know introduced people to this concept of sustainable protein. Very cool. I mean, there's we're really only just scratching the surface with oysters here, and um, I mean, I think we would love to have you guys back on and always keep in touch with the foundation and the Island Creek Oyster Operation at large. And I know you guys have another event November twelfth, right, at the Island Creek Oyster Bar in Boston. So. Yeah, that's going to be um, that's going to be amazing. It's it's a sit down dinner, and uh, we've got Jeremy Sewell and Jody Adams, the chefs from Boston, and then Jonathan Benno, who um, owns yeah. and is the chef at Lincoln here in New York, and Danny Yee from Harlow, uh, are coming up for the event. So it's going to be pretty epic food. And I see the shucking will be done by none other than the shucking boss. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Oyster, yeah, I'll be shucking for that for sure. Awesome. Hopefully, hopefully a lot of oysters. That'll be good. So if you're in Boston. Get a table. The money goes to a very good cause. You can meet the shucking boss. You can <laughs> have food from Jonathan Benno and a bunch of other talented Boston chefs. Uh, that's great. I, I really encourage listeners to go check out everything you guys are doing at islandcreekoyster.com um, and then islandcreekfoundation.org for all of the foundation work. So thanks for coming down, Bushwick. Yeah. Thanks so much for having yeah, us awesome. and spreading the oyster gospel. Yeah, man. It's like to be here. Time to shuck some oysters this weekend. I think we just missed Oyster oh, yeah. Week was like two weeks ago, I think. I know. Yeah. This is our Oyster week. Oyster week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, we got some a couple of events in New York that we're doing some smaller stuff, but yeah. Anything coming up? Um, no, it's all pretty much private stuff. We do a lot of private parties. People ask us to come in and shuck oysters at their house or restaurants or spaces, wherever. So, yeah. Yeah. I, that's mainly what I do is a lot of that kind of stuff. So Awesome. Um, yeah. Well, thank you guys, and thank you all for listening. And if this is your first time tuning into the Farm Report, you can catch us live every single Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can subscribe to this as a podcast in iTunes or on your smartphone with the Stitcher radio app. 
I'm Jack Inslee, the guest host, executive producer at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Aaron Fairbanks will be back next week with another incredible episode of The Farm Report. Thank you so much to Joe Galarraga, our wonderful head engineer in the studio, who makes sure that all these shows go out and sound great. See you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>